Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and Ben, also known as Ben Grasher, on the data mining team. It's episode 23. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this is not our typical episode. We've had a bit of a break since our since we recorded our last episode. I got sick for a week. Then Ruben and I did record an episode, but we had about two hours of technical difficulties and finally just gave up on the episode. And then last week, Ruben and I got very busy, and so we were unable to schedule a time to record an episode. But people keep sending in lists, and the draft format and the things we want to say keep moving forward. So I uh, talked to Ben. I got him to come on the cast again. And so this week, it's me and Ben doing our typical show. Hello, so, everybody. Yeah. So, hey, Ben. <laughs> nice <laughs> to talk with you again. Yeah, I'm excited. So I think moving forward, Ben might be making slightly more frequent appearances and also, we're going to try having a few more guests. And so this is also, I think, a call out to any listeners who happen to be free Tuesday to Thursday, 6 to 10 Eastern Standard Time, who have things to say about the Eternal Draft format and would be interesting in, interested in coming on the cast and giving their perspective about uh, the format. Uh, please contact us at farmingeternal at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to have sort of uh, more people to talk about because uh, I have a feeling it's going to be hard to get a hold of Ruben for the next few weeks as uh, summer really cranks up for him. But aside from that, um, this week we're going to do our typical card of the week, listener of the week, and list of the week, as well as our seven win run breakdown, which we're at 425 lists. And then we're going to talk about the top shadow cards. So we'll finally close out our five faction breakdown. And then for the main topic, Ben has uh, a couple or at least one tip and trick for us to, uh, to talk about. And then we're going to review a draft by Joey Andy Hove. Um, formerly known as Aloran44. Shall we move to Listener of the Week? The, this week, the Listener of the Week was Kalebovich, um, who is, I think, a pillar of the Eternal Drafting community. Uh, he's on Team Rank Star. He drafts, I think, most weekdays, very early in the morning for me, so I can usually catch the tail end of his stream. But... Uh, yeah, it starts around like midnight Pacific uh, and is very good. It's hard to go to sleep because he comes on and the, the content is quite good. Definitely give him a listen if you're, if you're a night owl. Yeah, and in the last few weeks, he started uh, submitting to the list and uh, saying positive things about the show, which has been very exciting. And so we just want to give back, give back the love and let anyone... And I can't imagine there's that many who listen to this show but don't know about Kalebovich. But give him a listen, watch his videos, and uh, enjoy his stream. 
Yeah, he does have YouTube videos as well for uh, for consumption through Team Rankstar. Though I will say the one problem uh, I have with him is he posted an article about how to make uh, Dizo's racket work in draft, and I've tried that deck twice and have <laughs> yeah. failed yeah. miserably both times. I believe I played it once as well, and it was it was absolutely terrible, but. Some of the games I didn't draw the Dizos racket, so in those games it was very good. Yeah, I even this is and this is maybe my first mistake, but in my lo- last one, I was able to draft two of them, so I put two in my deck. Yeah, it's twice as good when you have two. Yeah, I I figured, uh, and then the only positive thing I can say about my deck is I was able to kill myself one game by putting the club on. I drew a lot of cards before the animation of my deck was done. <laughs> Which is a small An enjoyable victory. time was had by all, <laughs> yeah. I think, there. All right. So how has your draft week been? Well, uh, week 23 was actually pretty good. I, I did a little bit of experimenting with some splash lists uh, and had some success there. I uh, drafted Primal a little bit, and it was okay. It had to be open, and the, the, the cards are powerful. You just have to not not get cut off, which is very easy when you're in Primal. And uh, the splashes were working pretty well. The fixing is going late. That's one of the things that happened in 5.5 as well. When you didn't really need fixing, it went late. So if you can pick it up and use it, it can be very powerful. It was, it was, a, it was a pretty good week. So what cards are you splashing from Primal then? Oh, Primal, it's, there's a few cards that are quite easy to splash. The Lightning Sprite is a very good splash, and I've seen many streamers in this last week of real time splashing Lightning Sprite. Uh, there's also, um, like, Lightning Strike is not, not great to splash. Uh, Cobalt Coin is a good kind of splash enabler mm-hmm. uh, because it's kind of like a sigil. Uh, and if you're playing like a time deck, you've got a lot of big bodies on the ground. It's kind of a removal spell off your splash. Well, this is an interesting question that maybe you're the person to ask. So if you're, and I know, I feel like people were doing this a a lot at the beginning of the format. And then I feel like maybe less so, but like, if you're splashing for cobalt coin, do you want a certain, do you want to have fixing? Obviously not primal fixing, but like an on-color insignia or something like that to hit your numbers better? Because having, you know, taking out a, a power source to put a cobalt coin in is a cost. It is making yeah, the rest of yeah, your cards sure. harder to cast. Yeah. But yeah. it's weird because it's not a card that you could like, oh, I got like three Felm banners, so now I'm like totally fine. Right. <laughs> that doesn't help you with your <laughs> cobalt coin. No. But It's kind of a... So as a primal card, it's very interesting because you don't need any fixing to support it in, in the primal color. You can just play it. Uh, now, you do have to pay attention to... So if I was playing like a 9-9 power base or whatever and cutting one of those sigils for a cobalt coin, I would hope that I didn't have a lot of double colored costs mm-hmm. uh, in the deck. And fixing would help. Uh, and I wouldn't splash it in a deck where I didn't have... Uh, where it wasn't a good card, let's say. Like, if, if you are playing, like, a shadow deck, the shadow decks don't really have any very good blockers. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire decks don't really have a lot of good blockers. So 
you know, if you're playing Stone Scar, it doesn't really help you to splash. And for obviously, this is a deck by deck consideration. But if your deck doesn't have good ground blockers or doesn't have good air blockers, the Cobalt Coin is not going to help you. So I wouldn't bother splashing it. But the scenario that I was talking about was let's say you're trying to splash Lightning Spray. You need three sources or four, mm -hmm. maybe, to, to splash it. Let's say you have one piece of fixing, you play a sigil, and then you play a cobalt coin instead of that second sigil. Right. And you get a little value on your way. Or you play a cabal standard, or you play a avalanche yeti or something like that, a single influence card that's good early, good late, um, good in any like board state scenario. And uh, that like makes the cost of putting the card primal sigil in your deck a little less that's mm. you're like replacing primal sigils not necessarily sigils in your main color for supporting your splash right so <clears throat> it can be good to have like one or two of those in your deck if you're going to splash some some high impact primal cards mm -hmm. yeah that that makes sense the, there's uh... a lot there's a lot of double primal primal cards like crystallize uh keen saddleback Cloud Snake Matriarch, Torgov, uh, the Four Six Flyer. The list just keeps going on and Frost on. Frost Elemental, which is Frost the... Elemental. Yeah, yeah. There's so many of them, and you just can't splash any of them. Uh, right. So don't don't try and splash those cards. But if you if you pick up the splashable ones, then it can be successful. And if you can pivot into Primal, sometimes it's good because you know you know it's open. At least it's not not as likely to be cut. And then you can afford to play those double primal cards because it's your main color. So right. it can be good. Even Patrick has submitted a primal deck, I believe, in the last few weeks. And we've had some primal decks submitted from some high-profile people, high-profile streamers as well. Yeah, well, it is kind of – it's interesting because I know we <laughs> – We've spent probably 10 episodes now talking about how bad Primal is and how our data backs that up. But, but I would say, especially recently, and part of this is that since I got sick for a week and a half, I was able to watch a few more streams than, than I had been recently. It felt like a lot of streamers were playing a lot of Primal and a lot of opponents like a surprise, I feel like even now, a surprising number of my opponents play primal. Were they six, were they getting seven wins though? Is the yeah, question? that's that's the thing. But those uh -huh. that's not that is still not converting into lists being submitted. So yeah. I know um, one of our great listeners, uh, Dwiggy, kind of mentioned in an email that he's been having a lot of success with primal and was wondering if there was maybe a feedback thing where our listeners are the people who send in lists and we keep talking about how Brad primal is. Yeah. Um, and so maybe we were contributing. I think that was maybe giving us a little bit more <laughs> yeah. credit than we deserve. <laughs> but I still think, you know, this, despite seeing the number of primal decks in the queues, we, we are still not getting the lists. Like yeah. even, you know, we had a week or two with a small uptick, but it is, I think even that uptick sort of went away and it's, it's still abysmally low. Well, Twiggy did send, he, he sent us nine lists and four of them were primal, which is, that's a good amount, but that's only, 
like four out of 10 would be the average. And he sent four out of nine. So, and that's a person who like strongly believes in the power of primal and has been seeking primal out and so on and so forth. And they're getting slightly above like completely random average for primal. So maybe the other people are not thinking about it as much. Maybe he has a good idea of how to make the color work. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're interested in checking those lists out, it's lists uh, 352 through 360 in the sheet. You'll see four primal lists in there from a very high uh, ranked person. And maybe that'll something will trigger for you about how, what cards work well together and what cards they're playing and not playing to make it work. Uh, so I think that is a good point. I do think, just like I said, like it's not a deep color. Primal is not deep. It has to be open. People have to think it's bad for anyone to have success. Mm-hmm. And so we saw when they buffed quote unquote primal by giving it two slightly better cards, very slightly better cards, people tried to draft it again. And surprise, surprise, that was one of our lowest performing primal weeks because too many people were trying to draft a non-deep color right uh and the the longer it goes from that buff the better it's going to be for the primal drafters because the color can potentially be open again uh and it'll be a little bit cyclical i think if people have a lot of success and people are seen having success with primal it'll the color will be overdrafted again and not perform very well but the the cards are there the power is there you just have to be like sure that it's open and be willing to switch if it's not yeah you, you gotta you gotta cut if if there's not you know you first pick your cloud snake matriarch or whatever don't pick first pick cloud snake matriarch but if you do and you don't see primal in the next few picks you've got to have a plan to be some other color because yeah. the the depth is just not there yeah i agree and i also think I mean, this is this is not really a, a a primal podcast, but it's also I think there's just some trap cards, you know. Like you even oh, mentioned Avalanche 100%. yet, Avalanche Yeti. Yeah. I'm not convinced that that's a great card per se. That's a great way. Avalanche Yeti is a great way to lose really slow. Yeah, uh, it's really slow to lose with Avalanche Yeti if you don't have like solid support curve creatures. You stun their two guys and kill them. That's what you yeah. want to do with Avalanche Yeti. If your plan is Lightning Strike, Avalanche Yeti is not a good card because yeah. it just it, it'll do two face damage in three turns and uh, nothing for your for your six power. So you have to you have to have a plan to kill your opponent. Yeah, and, and if you do that, then Avalanche Yeti can be powerful. Uh, but if you don't, then yeah, yeah, and it I was think... not one of the high. It was not one of the cards I suggested last week or whatever. Yeah, uh, to move into primal for certainly. Sorry, go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, I just don't think it's. I think s- people don't appreciate how much six power is. You know, so you're like, yeah. oh wow, I'm getting a better uh, flash freeze, but you're also yeah. paying twice as much uh, power for it. And exactly. flash freeze is a game you want to. Is a card you want to play and then you know win the game in the next turn yeah. or two. Kill and, your opponent. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. You, and it, and flash freeze is still doing. It's not good enough to make your poor aggressive deck into an actual aggressive deck. Right. It's not elevating those decks. the uh, The other thing to think about is like Cloud Snake Matrix versus Frost Elemental. You pay twice as much, you get two more power. 
you don't even get twice as much power and it's way harder to cast a six drop than a three drop yeah so that's that's another reason that this value six drop cloud snake matriarch is not doing as well as the hyper aggressive curve three three flyer that just kills your opponent with no additional mana investment no no additional power investment so like the cards look good but mm-hmm. gotta be gotta be cautious yes Though I will say the best way to win with Primal is to play a Frost Elemental on turn three every game. Yeah, sure. That's great. Frost nice. Elemental and, and your Scaly Boy, uh, they're, the, they're a great combination. Yeah, so my week has been mostly playing a lot of Praxis decks. It's kind of funny because we just came off of uh, Ruben's Combray episode. I mean, even though it was you know three weeks ago now, but I keep finding... <laughs> sort of relating to that episode, except with the Praxis colors, where I feel like no matter what I do, I just end up in Praxis. And we talked about this a little bit before the show, but I feel like one of the reasons is is the fire cards are so good that it's easy to pick up a couple good fire cards early, I think. And then uh, after our discussions and... Um, uh, episode 21, where I sort of talked about um, compared to Viscerate and Gundown and how they're doing in our stats and seeing how, even though I think on the face of it, Eviscerate looks like a really good card, it's actually not performing as well as I think one would expect. And so Eviscerate has moved down in my pick order a bit. And so what I've been finding is that I kind of pick up a couple fire cards, pick up a couple time cards, and then fire gets cut because it seems like a lot of people are drafting fire, but there's still never a good enough shadow card to sort of pull me out of that fire. And so I end up just like being mostly a time-based deck with a couple really good fire cards and then a lot of mediocre fire cards but that those mediocre second tier fire cards are still pretty good. So it ends up being like an okay deck. And there's just, it doesn't seem like Shadow has, I mean, there's a couple of their good uncommons, but in the common slot, there's just like never a card that really draws me into the color anymore. Especially in the set six packs. Yeah. There's there's some better ones maybe in the, in the curated packs, which is saying something about Shadow. But um, yeah, it, it's... It's real easy to find playables when you're in Fire Time Justice because there's just a lot of playables in Fire Time Justice. And like especially I've been bailed out so many times in pack four by like Streets of Flame with four cards left or whatever. So yeah. like people are people are either getting cut in pack one and then moving out of fire or something, and then fire's open again in pack four or at, I'm not sure, but like as long as you're not moving into fire for cards like Horde Duelist, the two-two charge, or like some super medium card, yeah, you you're gonna do okay in fire. You right. just don't. You want to realize when what you're seeing is truly like a second-tier card over uh, Char, Streets of Flame, Blurry Chaser. Uh, that's that sort of level of card. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if this is maybe just bad drafting, but, you know, like, if in the first five picks I get, like, a Blurry Chaser and a Streets of Flame, and I don't see any fire cards after that, 
more, you know, I'm still like, I look at the shadow cards and I'm like, I would rather just play, <laughs> or, you know, and I would just rather have a great time at, or justice deck with blurry chaser and streets of flame in it than like these like mediocre shadow cards. Yeah. There's some of that. Yeah. It, many drafts I've had like three cards of each color at the end of pack one. And mm -hmm. it, it really matters what, what uh, like pack two and three have in them to right. try and push me in one direction or the other. Uh, but I have found to, I, I, fa I have found that it has been quite easy to be kind of heavy time People are not respecting the corrupted behemoths. They're not respecting the like ooze or horn or the displaced Arachidon. Like that card is not amazing, but it's it's not average. It's well above average, and it's pretty easy to like have maybe six time cards after pack one, and then have a couple of each other color, mm -hmm. uh, and then it's you need to decide in pack two which one is really your your other color but i can see being there and from the fire direction as well because there are a lot of a lot of playable fire cards yeah and two. i really want to go into pack two uh, i feel like time and justice are where i want to be in pack two and three if like time is open and i think part of it is like i don't know i just feel like in the curated packs time you can just get so many um, of the uh, uh, what's the the one time spell that gives you a two two training ground. People do not pick that card highly enough. It's just, yeah, I agree. And so that was our really long our draft week, but I think there was some interesting discussion there. Um, so now we'll move to card of the week. So Ben, what did you want to talk about this week? Uh, I wanted to talk about a pummel and daring maneuver because they seem like very similar cards. They're both plus two, plus two. They're both fast spells. Uh, they're both combat tricks that help you be aggressive. They're both very good with Nimble Conscript. Nimble Conscript is extremely good with pump spells. Uh, and one of them is doing quite a lot better than the other one. And it might not be the one that you think. So Daring Maneuver is actually outperforming Pummel. Uh, Pummel has a lot of advantages over Daring Maneuver. It, it, it's one power. It's in the curated packs instead of in the set six packs. Uh, it's good to find good cards in the curated packs. Uh, it's uh, It has a scout attached to it, so it's kind of like a little bit of card draw in there. It just has a lot of advantages, but Daring Maneuver is outperforming it, and I think that there are a couple of reasons why this is the case. Uh, first of all, it's a much better card to kill your opponent with uh, because of the overwhelm. Like if you have some big, the 7-4, for example, and you cast Daring Maneuver on that, your opponent dies. If you cast Pummel on it, your 7-4 survives until the next turn, but maybe they stabilize with a deadly unit or something, or uh, maybe they use the deadly unit to block your guy and you don't have it anymore. Whereas the Daring Maneuver gets in a whole bunch of face damage. Uh, also, uh, Daring Maneuver can be used on defense. It's very important for cards to have more than one functionality to, to win games in Eternal. Like Pummel is a better offensive card because it, it's cheaper, it lets you develop, but uh, Daring Maneuver is a better defensive card, despite the Overwhelm not doing anything on defense. At least you can cast it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's kind of a removal spell if you've got some creatures uh, when you block with it. And two-cost removal spells pretty good. Um, 
so I, it, I think it's just really interesting that despite the increased competition from uh, set six packs, despite having a higher mana cost, power cost, uh, it still is outperforming Pummel. And I think that should really say something about uh, how good of a trick it is. It's interesting because I, I feel like there are two ways you could sort of argue each case. And one is like, you know, as everyone talks about, you know, two power over one power is a huge difference. You're doubling the cost. And so you would really think that does a lot in Pummel's favor. But I kind of I think one of the ways you could sum up everything you just said is that Daring Maneuver is just a f more flexible card. For and sure, I yeah. think one of the things that I've been learning and realizing looking at all our statistics and stuff is just how important flexibility is. Having a generally good card in different aspects of the game. When you're when you're yeah. ahead, it's great. When you're behind and on defense, it's not great, but it's passable. At least it does something. Yeah. And so and you know, I've been this is not about Daring Maneuver or Pummel, but like one of the things I was thinking of more about is like one of the reasons I feel like the the fire cards are doing so much better than the shadow, the equivalents, you know, um, comparing Streets of Flame to Extract or Gun Down to Eviscerate is that the fire cards are just a single mana influence, a single, single power influence. And so... I think that's another form of flexibility where you're just like you're just able to cast it in more situations because it's easier to cast card. And I think sort of down the list, there's just so many examples of just flexibility being key because you're not always going to be in the ideal situation or be able to use the card exactly when you need it. Yeah, for sure. Like single influence is important these days, even in two uh, faction decks. Mm -hmm. Like. Uh, there's so many times when you have like three of one source and one of the other, like that's not even that that unlikely. And just being able to to use your spells is is really good. So that that is a a good factor for fire, especially. Yeah. So uh, moving on to my card, uh, I wanted to talk about Temple Standard. Uh, this is actually my card of the week from about <laughs> three weeks ago when I was sick. My card is the time standard that when you hit five power transmutes into a two cost bounce spell that also bounces a weapon, bounces the weapon back. So I think when I look at this card, I just never really gave it any credence. It's like the one standard that I just would pass over when it was an option in the packs because it just seemed like it's not doing enough. All you're really, you're spending two power to just bounce unit and like in the last format there was like cards like Begone, which you could do the same thing for one power and they would lose their weapon and um, it was fixing spell too in that format and trigger wormstone easier and yeah yeah there's a lot of good stuff going on there but um i was watching uh, andrew beckstrom's stream uh he is a direwolf digital developer and his in-game name is Andy Gray, and he's actually, he drafts a lot and is very good at draft and is actually very often in the top 100, um, even the top 10. 
he streams very rarely, but when he does, I try to catch it or at least watch the VOD. And, you know, he opened up Pack 2 and there was a Temple Standard in there. And he was just talking about the cards and was like, oh, Temple Standard. He's like, I pick the standards when I'm in that color over just about any other card. And I do that for every standard, more or less, but the Temple Standard. And so I was a little surprised to hear him say that in with Temple Standard being the example. And it kind of made me reevaluate the card and start picking it a little higher. And I've been very surprised with how good it's been. Uh, you know, there's the obvious, the the standard advantage of it being a power that turns into a spell. So just when you're when you have enough power, being able to add another spell to your deck is, you know, I think the standards are just all powerful because they have that transmutability. But then things that I hadn't really considered is first Temple Standard is a fast spell, unlike a lot of the bounce spells, uh, which allows you to use it as a combat trick on offense. To, yeah, you can use it to prevent double blocks and yeah. triple blocks on your big time guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then the other thing that I hadn't really considered is there's so many fewer weapons <laughs> in this format that that's yeah. almost like irrelevant downside to the card compared well, to 5 and 5.5 uh, where everyone was packing weapons. And so I don't think Temple Standard was were in the curated packs, but it just coming from that environment where you were just like so scared of of weapons having uh yeah having a bounce spell that can handle weapons was a would be a much major downside but now that there are so many fewer weapons i think it's yeah not that big of a deal so i've been having a lot of success it's nice you know i think it's you know it's sort of the ugly stepchild of the uh of the standards but i think it's been great and i think you're going to talk a little bit about how it's actually performing well too, sort of. Yeah. So the like one other thing I'll say about Temple Standard before we go on there is that uh, a lot. This is a twist format as well. So if you have like a a, a super dangerous creature on your opponent's side, like a blurry chaser that they put a weapon on and twist it a bunch, well, that blurry chaser can't be replayed. Like it, it kills the blurry chaser mm. because they may have over twisted it due to the weapon. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a creature spell there. Like uh, they still get the weapon back, but it, it's card neutral in that situation. So it's kind of kind of good. A lot of the weapons that you put on nowadays are one twos or two twos, and it's very easy to overtwist those creatures to the point that they're dead when you temple standard it. So they get the weapon back, but not the creature. So that's pretty good. Like and temple standard is is the worst standard, but it's. If it was a common, it would be close to top 10 uh, commons, which is very high. Like, there, there's not a lot of uncommons that outperform that. And every other standard outperforms every other common in both draft and, uh, sorry, in both set six and the curated packs. So every other standard better than any other common uh, in the format. And we talked about Shugo standard before. Shugo is the number one standard. Like that that's doing extremely good. It's, it's on the it's on the level of canon, which is saying uh, quite a lot about a card, I would say. Patrick, you just you hit the nail on the head there. It's the flexibility. It's kind of the good side of pledge where you can like you don't have to play it on turn one. You can play mm -hmm. it a little later. They're super swingy cards. Crown Watch standard is 
swings a race, Temple Standard swings a race, Shugo Standard sw swings a race. Cabal Standard is one of those cards that just kills me every time. Yeah. You know, oftentimes to play around a combat trick, you kill, you know, you overblock multiple creatures. And when they use Cabal Standard to make both of those uh, combats in their favor, that's real bad. So, like, all of these cards are very good. They're, they're reasons to splash because they enable the splash as well. One of the cards I, I splash a lot when I'm playing Shadow, when I'm splashing Shadow, I'll play Cabal Standard as one of my sources and kind of counts as a splash card and as a splash enabler. So it's really hard to find cards like that. And, and it's, it's just a super solid trick in, in any of the colors, including Temple Standard. Great. So shall we move to seven win run breakdown? Sounds good. Yeah, I'm very excited about this because I feel like I don't have to do anything for this segment. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> do you want to take it away? Sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So one of the things we do on this podcast is we collect seven win runs from our listeners. So if you have a seven win run, you can mail it to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And you will see that list magically show up in our seven win spreadsheets uh, that are linked from our website and in the show notes and in the Reddit post and so on and so forth. We're doing really good on the linking these days. Uh, so we collect all of those lists and we run some analysis on them, which is where I come in uh, most days. And we can tell you things like corrupted behemoth and retribution are the top comments. Uh, we can't do that unless you send us the list. So it's it's really great that we have such active listeners. They participate. We we get so many lists from people. It's it's just wonderful. Uh, so send in your lists. See your list show up here, and you get the benefit, quote unquote, of having your name read on the stream. Uh, so I'll give that a shot this week, I suppose. Uh, so our new contributors this week are Andrew W. Kalibovich, which we who we talked about earlier, he submitted six lists, which is quite a lot. Uh, Glozu, James S, Kid Sneelock, Matt M, Ryan M, SSJ nineteen ninety seven, and Telemokos. Uh, that they first submitted a list this week, and our veteran contributors are myself, Ben Grasher, uh, Camel Milk. Uh, he was we referred to him as Jay Junker in the past, so you've heard that name quite a lot. Uh, Captain Cookies and Cream, Celtic Guardian 7, Dubes, Dwiggy with nine lists. He uh, <laughs> he saves up and we get we get some big big dumps from him. Uh, Eris Elite, Fabio M for the Eternals, for Robot, Gaunon, Induku with four lists, Jason P, Jed the Hummerid with five lists, coming on strong there. Joey Andy Hoovy, John Holio, Josh K, Man and Mouse submitted a list. Thank you very much. Matty Oker with four lists. Mariak, uh, Michael B, Raven Dragon, Ruben L, Rofer, Smileys, Staggerly42, Zuta, Yistout, and Zelda64. Thank you very much, all of you, for submitting the lists. Uh, we had 81 lists uh, for this week's podcast uh, from 38 people, which is, I mean, that's a lot. Thank you very much for, for all the lists. Uh, and this was just like a two-week period period. Uh, three or so weeks ago. So it's it's not just uh, the recent lists. The list of the week that I'll just shout out here is uh, Kilibovich did a stipulation draft where 
he it was a shiny draft. He had to draft a rare if there was a rare there. He had to draft an uncommon. He had to draft shiny premium cards that they were there. So he, his choices were severely limited by the cards he was able to draft, and he was uh, he was able to convert that into a seven win list. Uh, so check that out in the spreadsheet if you're interested. That's uh, uh, quite the achievement, I would say. So looking at the uh, colors this week, we saw Combray with 22% of the list. That's well above average. 10% would be uh, the average for any two-color combination. Uh, and Primal, overall Primal, uh, was at 20%, like we've discussed. Um, that's well below average. Any single color should be about 40%. Primal's at 20 So not doing too good. But we, we talked about that earlier, uh, and we talked about the Dwiggy lists. So check those out, uh, lists 352 through 360. We'll get some primal ideas. Uh, and just in general, time, fire, and justice are in the lead. About 50% of all, 50, half of all decks have one of those colors in them. Uh, and they're all pretty good places to be. Yeah, and I think we talked about this. I, I agree with you where... It seems like I'm able to get out of pack one often with some good time cards. And I feel like time has really been anchoring a lot of my lists. And then just figuring out that second color of fire or justice after that is kind of where I've been a lot. I think it. I think if you're heavily in one of those colors, time, fire, or justice, if one of them is open and you can be in it, that you can support having one of the other ones half open. Or you mm -hmm. can take advantage of like Shadow or Primal being open and have a great deck. So right. I, I think any of these combinations can really work out pretty well. I, th I think it's hardest for Felm, clearly. It's very hard for Felm to work because they're both kind of overdrafted, underperforming colors. But just find find the, the one lane, at least, of those three colors that are open fire, time, and justice. And then supplement with whatever else is open and you, you're going to be doing fine. Okay, so this week we wanted to, like we said earlier, close out our top cards of each color, and so we're finally here with shadow cards. So uh, in the commons, the the top commons are in shadow are Extract, Mob Rule, and Crooked Alley Guide. Uh, now, only one of those cards, interestingly, is in set six, and only one shadow card in the top, uh, only two shadow cards in the top, 10 or so uh, shadow commons are from set six. That's quite interesting. I think Crooked Alley Guide and Stone Scar Outfitter are the only ones really uh, exceeding expectations noticeably, let's say, <clears throat> in set six. So that makes it kind of hard to be in shadow uh, after set six. But if you the, those cards are both quite good, I would say. So if, if you can take them, that's that's good. Uh, and then the other cards like Extract, Mob Rule, Dark Return, Scavenging Vulture, Flickerling, those are the other kind of fill-in cards for the top in uh, Shadow. Uh, I think specifically those Flyers are doing really good because of the card Beast Caller's Amulet, which we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. But Scavenging Vulture into Beast Caller's Amulet, that's a pretty good way to win games because you put your attack buff on a, on a flying unit, you spawn a 5-5, that's really strong, even if they remove it. You get some persistent value there. Uh, it's just interesting to see like a 1-1 a one, one fire for 2 uh, doing well. And then the removal spells are pretty good. Extract, uh, Mob Rule, and Dark Returns kind of like a another creature, another mm -hmm. copy of your best creature. And it works well with Twist. It's a pretty good card for, for this format. Extract is the top card. It's a little hard to play because it's double shadow. 
so you can't really splash it. You've got to really be in shadow to make that work. Uh, like uh, Patrick said earlier, Streets of Flame is basically the same card. It's fast speed instead of a lifesteal. That's the difference between the two cards. And Extract is double shadow, whereas Streets of Flame is single fire. So Streets of Flame is doing quite a bit better than Extract, even though Extract looks like a more defensive card because of the lifesteal. It's just easier to cast uh, Streets of Flame. Uh, so yeah, it, in the commons. Also, it's a little bit important to note, I would say here, that a lot of these cards that I'm talking about are not really in the top. Uh, if you compare them to other colors, Shadow's not doing very well. If you compare Shadow to itself, you get these results that I'm talking about here. If you compare it to other colors, like there's only one Shadow card in the top 10, only three Shadow cards in the top 20, you, you should know what the top cards look like when you're going into Shadow so that you can know when they're open. If you're moving into Shadow for other cards, might not be the best best idea there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's we've we've talked about this before. Um, you know where that can there's two interpretations of that, and one is that there's a a flat power level among the shadow cards, so it's not necessarily that they're bad. It's just that they're mm-hmm. all equally good, and so don't get and so it doesn't really matter which shadow card you play um, actually I, I kind of disagree with that because what that would mean is that shadow is a deep color uh, and i do not believe that we would argue that shadow is a deep color if you look at cards like like you keep going you get to cards like eviscerate and like angry prophet and so on and like angry prophet's not a not a great card it's not very good on defense I feel like Angry Prophet is, is. I only play Angry Prophet on defense because. Well, if you have now, I'm saying when you're losing, it's bad. If yes. it's even, it's okay. It's yes. okay when even you're playing like a a three two or a four two. That's fine. But if you're losing, if, if you're not on the front foot, yeah, uh, Angry Prophet's not a very good card. Eviscerate's not a very good card when you're not on the front foot. So you kind of have to find some kind of aggression, and you're not going to find that aggression in Shadow. We read the creatures here. They're one-power flying creatures or two-power flying creatures. That's not a very good card when you're on defense either. You, you have to find something in your support color to make up that deficiency. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the people that are drafting Shadow are maybe drafting it for the extracts or drafting it for the eviscerates and kind of falling behind and then you don't really have any tools to catch up and you lose Mm -hmm. Uh, so make sure that when you're in these shadow colors you don't get too distracted by the cards that are only good when you're ahead that's what i'd say there um so yeah that's those are the the commons anything else you'd like to say about the commons like it's kind of interesting there's no creatures here really yeah, the only other thing that, and we've kind of brought this up, but I just like to point it out again, is like in the top commons, even when you just look at Shadow, uh, Eviscerate's not in the top eight, nine cards, right? No, it's not, and it's it's double Shadow, so you can't splash it. It's not a good, not good on defense, uh, and it's just like this five cost removal stuff. You don't, you're not seeing five cost removal do really well, like. Really, in the last formats either, it wasn't doing very well. Yeah, uh, it it's just not a it doesn't stabilize you, it doesn't uh, catch you up. It's just a way to kind of lose a little slower. Yeah, but it's I think it's a card because 
Eviscerate is it's it's reasonable, right? If you're ahead, you kill their corrupted behemoth, you kill them. Yeah. So I I think eviscerate is just a it's a card that is it's hard to look at and say that this isn't a top a top ten shadow card. It's it's on the order of top fifty commons. Yeah. That's, it's between fortieth and fiftieth best common, and I see people picking it like it's a top ten. Yeah. And those people are not not always doing real great. And when they do good, it's not on the, the back of Eviscerate. That's mm. what I would say. But, it's on the back but, of Cards Like Extract. But, yeah, I think it just brings up an interesting point to me. Because I do think there are people who are very good that do pick it high. Oh, and I it's agree. just... Yeah. And it's, you know, those are the times where I question, is it, it's like, is am I the one that's crazy? Is the data, <laughs> you know, cause like the data, it's just true that we do not receive a lot of deck lists with eviscerate. And so it's just really interesting because I think it's it, eviscerate. I think this is going to be, would be the hardest card for people to believe us when we say it's not that good of a card. I agree. Scavenging vulture is significantly better than eviscerate. And that is, that's a hard, hard thing to believe. <laughs> and like eviscerates, Razor Quill is in the same league. Razor mm -hmm. Quill is like a super aggressive card, but it, Razor Quill plays defense. You play it a turn earlier than Eviscerate. It can block and kill basically any two drop, any one drop. It can block most three drops. And when you're ahead, Razor Quill says, hey, you know, take three face damage and I deal three more to you. And there's a, just a lot of ways to kill people with, with uh, Razor Quill while also playing defense. That's doing maybe a little bit better. Yeah, and I would, but also, I mean, we can even say this about Razor Quill, because I think that's another card that people are very high on that is not in the list of the top shadow commons. Yeah, I think it's moving up, but it has, it need, you need to be alive. You, you need to not be, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it, it can help stabilize you, but compare Razor Quill to Corrupted Behemoth, right? right. And, and which of those is going to do, do a better job of stabilizing you? Corrupted Behemoth costs one more. But it's got a, an extra Crown Watch Longsword on it, and, and compared to to Razor Quill, and you know, Overwhelm does a pretty good job of uh, playing offense on on the Crypted Behemoth. So, like th these cards, like we're, we're talking about Razor Quill and Eviscerate, and saying they're not in the top, like they're they're above average, right? They're above your replacement level card for sure. They're just not cards that I would pick and say I'm in this color. Mm -hmm. uh, you you should be doing that to some other card. And like Patrick said much earlier in the episode, there just aren't very many of those shadow cards, so it's hard to end up in shadow. But if maybe you see these cards late and you say, well, shadow is open because I got this sixth pick Eviscerate or sixth pick Razor Quill, that, maybe that'll be my second color. And I think when I've done that, I've been a lot more successful then when I've opened up a pack and said, well, Eviscerate's the best card, I'm going to pick that because it kills something. I think the people that do that get themselves into a shallow, maybe like average or below average color a little too easily. And then they are locked into that by not being able to move off colors. and they It just doesn't work as well for them versus the person who picks the Eviscerate pick six and says, well, okay, shadow's open. I can take the risk of picking these shadow cards and hope to get paid off. And then get paid off in the curated packs where shadow is apparently quite a bit better. Mm -hmm. 
And we'll talk about that a little more with the uncommons. All right. Uh, so, yeah, shall we move to the uncommons? Sure. Just the last thing I'll say okay. is that uh, Crooked Alley Guide is moving up. It, it did get buffed. And like in the first few weeks, it was about the same as it was, but it, it's it's increasing. So take your Crooked Alley Guides. It's the best creature in Shadow anyway, and it is a, at least a set six card. So in the Uncommons, Beast Scholar's Amulet, I talked about this in past podcasts or by proxy at least. Uh, Suffocate, Spiteful Strike is just a, that's a crazy card uh, that swings games, blows out double blocks for one power, uh, kills deadly units, uh, gains you life. So it's just, it's great. It's not as good on defense, but it's so good on offense that you can kind of ignore what your opponent is doing and just say, I'm the one on offense by casting Spiteful Strike. Cabal Standard is up there in the top uh, uncommons. And then Voidbringer uh, is another uh, pack one card that you can have. Uh, Umber and Voidbringer. That card mm -hmm. is, that, that's a really good card because it requires Onslaught. It kind of encourages you to onslaught. Uh, I attack my corrupted behemoth into you. You block and kill it. Great. I'll play my Voidbringer and bring it back. Uh, and that's like a that's a pretty good story to tell when you're trying to win a game. So it, again, not a lot of pack uh, one cards here. Spiteful Strike. That's clearly very good. Uh, set six. Yeah, pack yes, one. Sir. But so Spiteful Strike, Umber and Voidbringer. Those are the cards you want to be looking for to move into Shadow. Death Ripple, Dire Beast, and Fallen Militiamen are, are pack one cards, set six cards that are worth uh, considering. And those are all in the at or above the level of the top comments. You, you really get paid off here again in, uh, in the curated packs with uh, Amulet, Suffocate, Standard, Horse Snatcher, Bat. It tells kind of the same story as the commons for Shadow, where you kind of want to get your Shadow in, in pack two and three and get what good shadow cards you can out of uh, the few good performing cards in set six. So that's kind of interesting because we, we like to talk about uh, the set six cards being better than the set, the curated packs. And I think it's probably the opposite for shadow, which makes that's really encourages you to be in shadow, but be in shadow in the curated packs uh, because the competition is weaker there. It's interesting just to see these here in a list because kind of what you're saying is like, it seems like the the curated packs are stronger for Shadow, but like we've been talking about, oh, a bunch of them are double Shadow. So they're wanting you to be really invested in Shadow, but you're often not going into uh, pack two invested highly invested in shadow so i think it also makes it a little harder to be to be like taking a double shadow card as your first shadow card yeah yeah that's very true uh the good news is the top four cards here are all single shadow but mm -hmm. then there is like extract from the commons number one common is double shadow yeah. uh void bringer horse nature bat uh those are all double but then every other card here is single shadow which is right. that's pretty good that, that is a good point about Shadow, though. In general, historically, good Shadow cards have been double Shadow, and that has hurt the faction. Uh, so if we talk, if we take a like just a real quick look at rares, Cabal Countess, Impending Doom, Elder Astrologer, these are cards that <laughs> some of them have seen uh, ranked play, so that's pretty good. And I believe all of those are double color cards, 
and so is our captain, which is number four. So, uh, and also none of these cards are set six. So don't take set six rare cards and say to myself, oh, I've got a great card. Just like primal, most of the primal rares are traps. Most of the shadow rares are traps as well. That's do what we've got to say. Do not take Diesel's rocket, no matter what <laughs> kill of a bitch. There's, so. there's some very specific cards that are good with Diesel's racket, and those cards are not uh, conventional weapons, shall we say, of the uh, Twin Psy, Mithril Mace, uh, Club. Th those are the cards that are not good with Diesel's racket. You want the unconventional weapons like the 1-3 or, uh, I don't know, the Soaring Guard or something like that. And then maybe those are good cards. Can I get you a number on Diesel's? Let's see here. There's Diesel's Office. That's a pretty good card. Diesel's Racket. There are zero Diesel's Rackets in 450 lists that we have in this format. And that's a rare, so that's something. But zero, zero copies. That's, uh, that's something. So, yeah, Caleb, if you're listening to this, that's, uh, that's a challenge. challenge for you. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the uh, the Ben's tips and tricks here? Yeah. Okay. So the thing I see people doing a lot that I really disagree with is using removal spells on creatures that are ineffective. And the the way I phrase this all the time is don't kill things that are already dead. Uh, so here's a scenario for you, Patrick. Let's say you have a scaly ruin. It's a 1-4. And your opponent has two Pyrodepts, right? Or they have a Pyrodept and a Blurry Chaser, let's say. Pyrodept and a Blurry Chaser. And you have a uh, Curator Spear, the two-power weapon. Which of those do you kill? Do you kill the Blurry Chaser or do you kill a Pyrodept? Well, I think definitely the Blurry Chaser. Yeah, and my answer would be that you don't kill either one. Right. Uh, because they're both dead already. Your 1-4 is killing both of their 3-1 creatures. You don't need to use a removal spell on a creature that can't get through. Mm -hmm. uh, so I see people all the time using removal spells in these situations. Well, I've got to, let's say I have a char in that situation. You don't char either one of those creatures. If they want to attack, you block with your scaly grunt, and they put their creature in the, in the void. That's, that's a good result for you. Or they try and use a combat trick, and you char in response. Right. And then you get, for your char, you get their creature, and you also get their pump spell. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, and it, even if they do something like char your scaly grunt to try and quick draw it down with a blurry chaser, you can still char in response and kill their guy. And worst case scenario here, they used one of their removal spells to kill your scaly grunt, a two-drop, mo moderately replaceable creature. Just don't use a removal spell in this situation. Their creatures can't do anything. Don't use them. Save it for a flyer. Save it for a creature you can't block. Save it for a deadly creature. Do, do anything other than use a removal spell on a creature that can, can't attack and isn't going to block. Does yeah. That, what do you think about that, Patrick? I, I was... Uh... 
the blurry chaser is i think an interesting example because that one is a little harder for me to swallow and maybe you're just a braver soul than i am but let's say it's a 3-1 blurry chaser if it was a 2-2 blurry chaser maybe i can see killing it but let's say it's a 3-1 like uh-huh. what are they going to do to that that makes your scaly run not kill it like they could well, put a weapon on it yeah well i guess my point yeah i guess you know if it's they, not I guess it it depends on how you evaluate the the potential upside of it, you know, because they put a weapon on it and that gives them access to future scouts, which is uh, future sort of card filtering. And so that's what you're really trying to save is you're trying to decide whether it's worth a char to stop potential future card filtering. Sure. Let's say they have a 3-1 blurry chaser, right? Mm-hmm. And they put a backpacker's machete on it. That's about the most dangerous thing that could happen, right? So they put right. the backpacker's machete on it, and they scout with a blurry chaser, right? Because they're going to do that. Well, you char it and kill it. And then you get your backpacker's machete and the blurry chaser for your char. Right. Now, they got a scout out of it, but I, I'm sure you would rather they lost it. Now, let's say let's say you do kill it in the in the fear that they play a backpacker's machete, right? Because that's perfectly reasonable. Maybe they play a backpacker's machete. What if they just put their backpacker's machete on their pyre adept now, right? Like that pyre adept is now something you can't kill with the char, and you can't mm-hmm. block with the scaly gruen. So now you're in a situation where they they get their card of value, and your blocker isn't effective anymore. So it's a threat, right? It's it's a threat that they'll put a like putting a weapon on is probably the worst case scenario. They put a weapon right. on. You can always still just block with a Gruen and, and char it, let's say, right? And then you have to lose the Gruen too, but you got two cards for your two cards, and their cards are probably better in, the, in this situation. The, the charring there before they equip means they just put the weapon somewhere else, and they get their full value from the weapon. Yeah, that's actually a, that's a really, I think, interesting counterintuitive thing is in this situation... You would almost rather they put the weapon on the blurry chaser. Yeah, for sure. Because they're going to twist it and make it like a 6-2 or something, and then you just you char it, and you're good to go. And, and, most people will ass- one, yeah. Yeah. and most people will assume that because you did not char their blurry chaser, you do not have a char, um, which, like, that's just wrong. You, you wouldn't do it because the creature can't attack anyway. Like, the... Like... <laughs> It's 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 a fear of something happening, and the putting the weapon on is honestly the worst case scenario for the char, right? right? It's the worst case. Whereas the pump spell is way better. It's way better if you wait. And let's let's say you know you char, and they attack you with their three one pyro adept into your one four scaly ground, and they have a pump spell. Well, they have one less creature to cast that pump spell on, which is has some value, I suppose. But you can't block with that scaly grunt because they're going to cast their combat trick and you lose it, right? So if you have your combat trick up, your, your one power char, and they have their two three ones, they can't even attack you. They can't do it. So there's no threat. And then if they attack you, well, you know they have something. You block. They use their trick and you blow it out. And that's that's the very likely thing that will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lower you are in life, the less you can take risks, the more you have to do things like this. But sometimes 
you just have to accept these risks and you should be accepting them more than you are now. I'm not saying you should do this every single time or always, but way more than you are doing it now, probably, because there's value in it, there's a card advantage, and there's just like, there's games to be won by doing it. Give it a shot sometime. And uh, especially for high value, versatile removal, just let them, let them do something. And then like, here's another scenario, right? Let's say your opponent has four three fives and you have three three fives. It's a board stall, right? They can't attack because they get six damage in, but you kill a creature, right? Or you just block a bunch of guys. So they can't attack you. A lot of people will use an eviscerate there and they'll eviscerate one of their opponent's three three fives. Well, you can't attack. They can't attack, but they couldn't do that before you use the eviscerate. So what did the eviscerate accomplish? Well, nothing. You put the eviscerate in the, your graveyard, and the, it's still a board stall. And this is true so many times. So in so many games, there's just this huge ground board stall. Somebody casts an eviscerate on something on the other team, and it doesn't matter at all. They just put the eviscerate in their graveyard, and it's still a board stall. Can't attack. Congratulations, you eviscerated something. Uh, whereas, let's say your opponent plays a Steel Legion in that sort of scenario. Well, you're going to want your eviscerate for that Steel Legion, but you don't have it anymore because you killed a creature that could not attack and could not block. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's another type of scenario where you should not be using a, a removal spell. The bigger the board stall, the more likely you shouldn't use it because you just it doesn't matter. Let's say they have an 8-8. Well, they probably can't attack with that 8-8 because you have some kind of multi-block on it. You can't attack even if they didn't have the 8-8. So just hold your removal spell. Hold your removal spell, and you'll get paid off. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that, Does your opponent being in time and having the possibility of horn and stuff to break board stalls change your evaluation in this? Like maybe it's worth getting their dinky units off the board just to... Uh, so let's say you had like a card granite coin. Mm -hmm. Granite coin's not really going to kill anything important anyway, so you may as well just get your value with the granite coin and kill something, even if it can't technically attack or block now. Uh, but I wouldn't make like a bad attack to enable a granite coin to kill something that's terrible. Uh, if I had like a ice bow, right, and no deadly units in my deck, and my opponent's in time, and they have you know some small creature, maybe it's worthwhile to ping it off, but. Even in that scenario, unless it enabled an attack or a twist or a, mm -hmm. some secondary value, like pinging off their 1-1 one, one token from an Amber Coin has pretty marginal value. Unless, like I say, it enables some kind of a, an attack. Mm -hmm. uh, the more high, like we're talking about Eviscerate now, like Eviscerate kills anything. It doesn't matter whether they have Horn or not. It typically doesn't matter whether you kill the thing before or after they play the Horn. It's still going to kill it. You might take slightly more damage, but you just need to kill that Steel Legion, that Roosting Warhawk, that uh, unblockable unit. I don't think there's any unblockable units in this, but like just some kind of threat that you can't already deal with uh, in, in this huge board stall. Uh, so I, I think the horn question is interesting for things like damage-based removal. Uh, but... 
So, so it's a case by case scenario, certainly. But like a blurry chaser, I think it would still, I would still do the same thing with blurry chaser because if they play a horn, they're going to twist the blurry chaser, and then you can kill it again if you have to. Uh, so I wouldn't, I just wouldn't spend removal spells out of fear, a fear mm-hmm. of something happening, and that I think that's why most people do it. Maybe they'll do something. I mean, what's the worst thing they could do? Cast a refresh, and then you char it, and it dies, and you got the refresh too. Like, just just save your removal for, especially fast speed removal, for things that need to be removed. It's hard. This is really hard. Look at the scenarios, and you'll eventually decide, well, maybe I could have picked up that daring maneuver or refresh as well as their creature with my, my char. Or maybe I could have, you know, charred their face and killed them. Or maybe I could kill a flying creature later, and that would matter more. Yeah. Well, finding more sort of counterintuitive ways to get to two-for-one your opponent, I think, is it's those little advantages. It's like setting yourself up to be able to two-for-one an opponent so that when the when this situation does come up, you can take advantage of it. So that was really great. Exactly. And so it's just in general, don't kill things that are already dead. Don't mm-hmm. kill things that can't attack or block, even if they were alive. Shall we move on to the draft? Let's do it. So this has been uh, over a month in the making. <laughs> yes. Joey Andy Hoovy has been very patient with us. Yes. But we're finally reviewing the draft that uh, Joey Andy Hoovy sent in. And this was a Father's Day draft that he did with his son. So let's review the draft. They have an interesting uh, pick one, pack one. They have an, a legendary in Gar Master Sand Mage. I can't uh, fault anyone for taking a legendary. You should take legendaries if you want. Uh, but there's also a Venomous Mount, which is the 4-3 deadly for 5 in time that shifts to give another unit deadly. Uh, there's Combustion Brawler, which is the 6-4 Overwhelm uh, for 5 in fire uh, that shifts... Uh, to exhaust a unit. Uh, there's Eviscerate, which we've just spent a lot of time talking about. That's a five power uh, removal spell in Shadow. There's Char, which is the one power, two damage uh, fire spell. And there's Crooked Alley Guide, which is the three cost, three, three with shift one and scout, uh, which recently got buffed. They picked, they picked the Char, which I think is defensible. It's one of the higher rated cards in the pack. Uh, it's in fire, which is debatably the best color. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you take char over combustion brawler? I think there was a time in this draft format where I was underrating combustion brawler, but the more I've played with combustion brawler, the better I've liked it. And you know, I'm I'm also being a little influenced because you did put in the numbers for how well they're doing, and it is sort of the quote unquote top rated card. It's slightly better. Right? Slightly better. Yeah I, yeah. I would never. I I look at the numbers all the time. I highly aggregate the numbers. If one card is a 2.3 and one card's a 2.4, that's that doesn't indicate that one card is better or not. I would still right. go with what I think is better. But what I'm looking for when I look at the numbers is, boy, this card's real bad. <laughs> or this card is rated very highly. Why, why am I not picking it? Why, why am I not thinking about picking it? So you're leaning towards the combustion brawler? 
what do you think about comparing the two shift units, the venomous mount and the combustion brawler? What, what would you take between those two? I would take combustion brawler, but I, that is I think part, so as well. par, yeah. partially a play style thing where I have been having a lot of success with uh, more aggressive strategies and uh, the venomous mount is not an aggressive card. It's not very aggressive. Combustion Brawler is pretty aggressive. 6-4 yeah. Overwhelm for 5. That That is above rate. Uh, yeah. Normally you'd be paying 6 for something like that. And exhausting a unit on a 4 cost can enable an attack and then later get in for 6 unblockable damage. Right. Prevents life gain, which is a serious problem sometimes. So that is a very aggressive card. It is You do want that to be on your top end. Mm-hmm. So I do think I would lean that way a little bit, but Char is unique. It is one cost. It is a very tempo-oriented spell. It goes to the face. I would I would pick one of those two, and they picked Char, which I think is modern. It's uh, defensible. But I, yes. Pack one, pick two cards in contention. Uh, there's a Cabal Repeater, which is the 3-2 uh, for two shadow unit that twists to give plus one and deadly. There's Char, which we talked about already. There's Retribution, one of the top commons in the format. Uh, the, and that's that. Uh, they picked the Cabal Repeater. And I would have to say that I strongly disagree with this pick. Uh, for reasons that we talked about before, I, I think it's a fine card, but not a great one. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. actually doing worse than uh, Argentport Soldier, <laughs> which is the same card in a different color with no ability instead of an ability. Uh, so that tells you something about Shadow, I think. So I wouldn't move into Shadow for that. Uh, so right. if you felt strongly that you were already in a color because you picked the Char, then maybe the Char is the pick. But I don't think Char is the pick either. I think Retribution is the pick. Right, uh, because retribution is better than any of these cards, um, and only a rare was picked, so you can't really tell anything. But I, I think retribution is definitely the pick here. Yeah, I think retribution is the strongest card. I will say that maybe this is just like a common theme with shadow cards. A lot of the shadow cards, like this card, just reads way stronger than it's performing. Yeah, it seems yeah. like a it's a pretty good card, but. It, how about this? That, so the deadly that it grants is only on offense, right? Right. So is this card good when you're behind? It's a 3-2 mm-hmm. for 3, so it's no. okay in that respect. But if you're counting on this card to save you when you're behind, right? it's not giving deadly. Uh, and oftentimes when you give deadly to units, you can trade them for things they're already trading for anyway. Yeah. Uh, especially in a big board stall. But see, that's actually, see, maybe that's where I'm misevaluating it. Because I feel like it is, you can imagine a lot of scenarios where it's great in a board stall. And that yeah. it's one of the ways to sort of not blow out a board stall because your opponent does get the choice of the blocks and not stuff. Asking. Yeah. But, so let's say, let, let's say you've got like a junkie creature, right? You've got a 2-2 two, two for two. And you twist... And now it's a 3-2 deadly and you attack, right? Mm-hmm. Your opponent either trades a bad creature with it or mm-hmm. they take three damage. Right? Yeah. What do you do on the next turn? Yeah. Well, I was really hoping... Again. 
I was really hoping for like three tutus. Yeah, let's say they have three tutus, right? Well, let's let's say you have a bunch of little guys and they yeah. have a bunch of big guys, right? Yeah. You twist and attack. Well, they take nine damage and then kill you is, is one thing that can happen. Right. Uh, or they decide they have to make some blocks. Maybe they have some little guys too and they can block with their little guys. It's just like, it's not... Another scenario where this is very good is when you have a lot of guys and it's just kind of like a mini rally. Yeah. Like it does, the deadly part doesn't matter as much as the plus one attack. And you get in there for a bunch more damage and kill them. Right. And that is good when you're on offense and when you're winning. Pretty okay as a two drop in those scenarios. And honestly, how bad can it be? It's, just, it's an Argent Port soldier with an ability, it's underperforming because mm -hmm. probably Shadow is underperforming because probably Shadow doesn't have a lot of good cards in pack. Packs one and four. This is an uncommon, so that's good. But I think Retribution is just straight up better than this card. Like, it kills something instead of maybe killing something. It kills the thing you want to kill instead of the thing they want to kill. If you have a flyer or any kind of evasive or trade action, great. You kill their guy. If they play one big guy, great. You retribution it, it stuns it, and you attack and kill them. Right. It's kind of good in a lot of the same situations. The Cabal Repeater, I think it's like three to twist. So it's five to do your rally mode, whereas retribution is three to do your rally mode. Retribution is, I think, much better, and the numbers are showing it. It's like a 50% better. Compare, compare Cabal Repeater to Cabal Standard. Which of those cards is better in a board stall? Because I think Cabal Standard is like two to three times better in the board stall. Mm -hmm. right? it's, it's so much better. Wh like, which is better, Cabal Repeater or Spiteful Strike? Spiteful Strike is way better in a board stall. You attack with your big guy, they block, they double block it, maybe you Cabal Strike and kill both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they quad block, you, you Spiteful Strike and kill two of them, and the other two can't kill your guy. Like, it's so much better. And Cabal Repeater is just like, Okay, I gave my big guy deadly, and then it, I can't do that anymore again. Right. So you're kind of you're hoping for a situation that doesn't uh, doesn't materialize as often as you would hope. I think. Yeah, and the fact that you can only do it at slow speed, I think, is. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, it'd be crazy. <laughs> I, I it'd break the game. I think nothing like that happens at fast speed, but it would be a, a lot better at fast speed. That's right. for sure. Pack one, pick three. Forgot to screenshot it, but they took a Crooked Alley Guide. Crooked Alley Guide's a good card. Yes. And they're in, theoretically in Shadow here. So I, I can easily see that being the best common. Uh, so we go to pack one, pick four. And we have uh, Auric Reclaimer in Shadow, which is the two cost two, three. That's a pretty good stat line. It shifts for six to get kind of get a weapon back. It's kind of a weird ability. Uh, there's War Wagon which is the 3-3 three, three, for 3 in uh, double justice influence that shifts to give another unit plus 3 plus 3. And then there's uh, Tauride Test Pilot, which is the 1-4 flyer that twists for armor in justice. And there's Streets of Flame, which is the 3 damage for 3 fire with a scout attached. Uh, and they picked War Wagon, which I think is super interesting uh, for, for a number of reasons. One, they don't have any Justice cards yet, so they're going into a new color because of War Wagon. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of people would do this. It's an uncommon, but 
this card has actually not been doing that very well for the Farming Eternal listeners. It's above average, but it's not in the top on commons. And I think that double justice is hurting it quite a lot. You compare this to a card like uh, Bright Mace Paladin, and Bright Mace Paladin is doing better as just a different 3-3 three, three for 3. So what, what stands out to you here? Are you looking at uh, Tarried Test Pilot, Streets of Flame, Oric Reclaimer? Uh, if I was in... Let's um, say you have the two shadow cards and the fire cards. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was in, uh, with, in Joey's Wrath, I think I would definitely take the Streets of Flame. Yeah, Streets of Flame is the best card in the colors that they're in, and it's also probably the best card. So that's a good reason to take that. I think if they were going to go into Justice, I think Tarred Test Pilot is quite a bit better, so I would take Tarred Test Pilot. Tarred Test Pilot is just a really strong card. It's an evasive unit, tr- uh, turns your retributions on. It's a good blocker. It's good when you're behind. Um, it's single influence to cast. It's good with armor synergies. It's just got a lot going on with it. Uh, so I think those are the two cards, and I think Streets of Flame is is the card you take. Let's say you have a Retribution and a Char here. Would well, that's you take it. Streets of Flame, or would you take Tarred Test Pilot? Yeah, that's a tougher one. I think Streets of Flame is still an okay card to take in that situation. That was your your instinct before. You Maybe you'd still take a Fire card here. It's one of the better Fire cards that might indicate the Fire is open. Right. Um, it is, but it's also a card that you sometimes get oddly late. Yeah. And we've been having this discussion... Where you know, because they're essentially sort of rated the same in our spreadsheet. Yep, for sure. And I wonder if I, I mean, I really like Streets of Flame, but maybe you just have to give the nod to the unit. Yeah. One of the things that I see quite a lot in packs two and three is that there are no units whatsoever. Often I exit pack one with three units, let's say, which is below where you want to be. You want to have like five per pack and you get three in pack one. And then in packs two and three, you see packs with no units or no units that are relevant. It's just real hard to pick up units in this format. So I think I think I might lean towards Tarred Test Pilot there. And I, maybe you'll call me crazy here, but is there anything to read to the fact that um, there are two commons missing from the pack? Right, this is pick four. So pick two, someone didn't take the retribution. So I guess... I could imagine someone taking a retribution over toward test pilot. And so like, if you're thinking of what are the people before me in, what I could more imagine is someone taking a blurry chaser over a streets of flame. And so like seeing a streets of flame at four with, with a couple commons missing doesn't necessarily mean that fires open, but I feel like seeing a toward test pilot fourth, uh makes me i don't know for some reason feel more like it's probably not a justice person ahead of me and war wagon is still here yeah i think people like war wagon a lot like they like it a lot they think it's a three they think it's a four on the background rate and it's a one and a half or whatever yeah so i think that is a card that people pick too much so if it's here it seems likely to me that justice is open, even though I wouldn't take that card. I would take Tarred Test Pilot instead. It's like a sign to me that the people upstream of me are not justice fanatics or whatever. Maybe they took a retribution or whatever, but I think I might lean towards Tarred Test Pilot, especially if I had uh, Retribution, which is a card I want to play, and maybe another justice card, who knows, from the previous pack. 
pack one, pick five. So currently we have uh, two shadow cards, a Cabal Repeater, a Crooked Alley Guide. We also have a War Wagon and a Char. Okay. And the cards in contention are Stone Scar Insignia, which is the Fire Shadow Insignia. We have Remembrance, which uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's it's kind of a situational card. And we have Displaced Orichtodon. We also have four Primal cards that are not very good. Uh, and that's the whole pack. <laughs> so uh, it's Displaced Orichtodon, Stone Scar Insignia, and maybe Remembrance. I would just take the Insignia here um, based on the color of cards you have. I I think I wouldn't read, you know, you have, I wouldn't read too much into the War Wagon, partially because I'm with you. I don't really think War Wagon is that great of a card. And while I do agree that Displaced Arachidon is an underrated card, I don't know if it's worth picking as your first time card. I, I think I agree with that. I, I really like the Stone Star Insignia here because it keeps a lot of options open. It's not mm -hmm. the easiest to splash Shadow, but maybe we splash Cabal Repeater. Maybe we splash the Crooked Alley Guide. Maybe we splash the Char that we have, right? So, or maybe those are our main colors and we have good influence in our main colors. So I think I would, I would definitely uh, pick that over the Arachidon, even though I have, I strongly favor time because I think time is basically always open. Uh, they picked the Displaced Arachidon, which is their, their fourth uh, color of card here, which is not necessarily bad. I see a lot of streamers pick four different colors of cards in their first four cards. I just think that maybe uh, some of these cards are not good enough to take over potentially better other cards or mm -hmm. cards that are in your color. I, I don't want people to take like Streets of Flame in that last pack because they're fire. I want them to take the best card and I want them to not think that War Wagon is, is the best card. So like Displaced Directed On, it's kind of a medium card. I think the insignia is going to open up a lot of possibilities in the future. So I think I agree with you there, Patrick. Uh, pack one, pick six. Uh, the cards in contention are Char dire, and uh, Direwood Lurker, I would say. Direwood Lurker is this seven cost, four or five lifesteal that shifts for six. Would you take I would definitely take the Char, but I just always feel bad if I have to put the Direwood Lurker in my deck. So Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And they did, they picked a chart, so that's good. Okay, pack one, pick seven. This is getting a little interesting now. So we have uh, two fire cards, two shadow cards, a justice and a time. Uh, and we see Wretched Talon, which is the three, three weapon for five that makes a deadly unit if you have Onslaught. And we see Corrupted Behemoth. Uh, we also see Eviscerate here. Looking at this, uh, let's say, let's look at Wretched uh, Talon versus Eviscerate. Which of those would you take? Wretched Talon over Eviscerate? Yeah, which would you take of those two? They're both double shadow. See, I, I have no way of knowing this. I know people like Wretched Talon. I've never I've never actually, I think, played a Wretched Talon. So I think I would take Eviscerate as the will always do something card. What would you do? So they are actually pretty similarly rated mm -hmm. uh, by in our spreadsheet. I think I would take... Uh, so, Wretched Talon is kind of two removal spells. Uh-huh. Uh, because it gives you a deadly unit to block their other guy. 
it's a little awkward because you have to attack first and then play it and remove, which is not great. Mm -hmm. um, and it again, that card is not super good on the defense because you're not going to get your deadly unit because you're not going to be able to attack. Uh, but I think I think those cards are both kind of similar and and not real great. So I could I could see you going either way. I think I'd probably lean towards the Talon because the top end the the best case is better and the like medium case is very similar and then the worst case is probably might even be a little better for the wretched talent i'm not sure uh, but how do you compare those to corrupted behemoth here pick uh, seven pick seven corrupted behemoth yeah i i mean i would take the corrupted behemoth here especially if i misclicked and taken the displaced Baractodon. <laughs> sure uh, and i think i think that is the right pick uh, so Corrupted Behemoth is actually a really good card to splash because it's expensive, it's good late game, uh, it stabilizes you well, it's just a really good unit. Uh, so I would take Corrupted Behemoth over either of those, and it, it rates much higher. So I would, I would take this as an opportunity to move into time plus maybe something I have already, Yeah, and rather I than would... doubling down with the Shadow. And, but I would keep it in mind that this could potentially mean that Shadow is open because I think it is surprising to see an Eviscerate and Wretched Talon also this late. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I think that's a good good uh, thing to note. But I think even if we're in Shadow, I'd rather be in Xenon with a Corrupted Behemoth than uh, in Shadow with another Eviscerate. And maybe this goes against the, the mum uh, suggestions from the last time I was on. But I think Corrupted Behemoth is like that, miles that, above... So right. I would. That's why I would take it. Uh, Corrupted Behemoth clearly the best card in this pack, and they pick it, which I think yeah. is really good. Okay. Yeah, the uh, thing I'm most surprised about uh, ending, ending because like you said, they mostly we kind of went over all the important cards from that pack, and they just got a couple sort of medium combre repl replaceable combre cards. Yeah. I'm just surprised that Shadow didn't show up after seeing an investor yeah. and. Uh, Wretched Talon that late. Well, they may not. Uh, yeah, the the cards at the end of the pack can sometimes be kind of medium, no matter if the card color is open or not. Yes. So, just a summary at the end of pack one, they have we have Cabal Repeater and Alley Guide as our shadow cards. We have Arc Lookout, which is the two three endurance War Wagon, which we've talked about a bit, and Flash Grenade as our justice cards. I am looking at Arc Lookout, War Wagon, and Flash Grenade. I am not in justice. Like that is yeah. not enough to be in justice for me. The best card is the double justice card, which is a bad place to be. And the single justice cards are kind of replacement level, I would say. Then uh, in time, we have Urchedon, which is the 2-2 shift scout guy. Corrupted Behemoth, Blink, and Ambercoin. I think that's good enough to say that you're probably in time. Like Corrupted Behemoth, Urchedon, and Blink, those are all pretty okay cards. And then in uh, Fire, we have our two chars. So maybe that's a splash, maybe not. And maybe we're in purple or maybe not. And then we mm -hmm. open our pack to pick one. And we see some uh, pretty interesting cards here. We see Beast Colors Amulet, which we spent a lot of time talking about. One of the best uh, uncommons in the whole format, Beast Colors Amulet. We see Backpacker's Machete, which is pretty good. We see Blink Wolf, which is a two drop, but probably worse than Backpacker's Machete. Uh, that's the two one warp, sorry. Two one warp for two. Uh, fall short, which is the two cost kill something with no battle skills, and learned herbalist. 
which is the two, two for two. You can discard a card to make a secret pages. It's like the slowest fixing in the whole format, but at least it's a common that's there. And our rarest Hall of Lust Kings, because that's a terrible card. Yeah. Uh, so they pick Fall Short out of this pack, which puts them a little more into justice. There's also a Soaring Guard for, for Ruben. Uh, he's talked about that quite a bit in the past podcast. They, they pick Fall Short. So what, what do you think about this, Patrick? Yeah, I think you have to take Beast Caller's Amulet here. I agree. Uh, yes. It's uh, one of our top performing uncommons in any color. We are in shadow. And I agree with your assessment um, of justice. You know, it, <laughs> it looks like we have a lot of justice cards, but none of them, I think, are particularly great, especially not great enough to take a... To take to not want to take a Beast Caller's Amulet. Yeah, we don't have anything in the top whatever cards, yeah. really. Not not really even in the top 50 cards in uh, Injustice. So we shouldn't be held back. We should take Beast Caller's Amulet here. And be glad we picked up a couple of Shadow cards earlier because this is a really good one. Okay, so I, I would suggest doing that over the full short. Pack two, pick two. We have an Argentport seat, which is a Justice Shadow seat for fixing. Uh, we see Mithril Mace, that's the 3-4 weapon uh, for 5. Fall Short, again, uh, Mob Rule, which is a 2-cost fast spell that kills uh, creatures that are smaller than the number of creatures you have. That's kind of a hard card to explain. Uh, Valkyrie Militant, which is a 2-2 flyer for 4. And what do you think about this? Uh, I think this is not a great pack for our particular draft. And I think if I were... This is going off of what we've been taking. I would probably take a mob roll because we're a little heavier in shadow and don't really have a, you know, I think justice is not where I'd want to be in out of this pack. I would probably take the mithril mace if I was in justice, but it's hard to have your first sort of powerful justice card be a double justice card. I think the mob rule is the best card. Maybe Seed of Vengeance, or Seed of Vengeance, which is the Argentport Seed, maybe that is the best card. But I think mob rule is the best non-power card here. Looking at it from their perspective, if they took another Justice card last pick instead of the Beast Colors Amulet, maybe they pick a Justice card out of here. But I think you still might take the mob rule, because I think mob rule is probably better than all the Justice cards anyway. Uh, is Mithril Mace the best Justice card there. Would you what what between the Mace Fall Short and Valkyrie Militant? Which card would you pick? Well, based on if the you fact had to that, pick a justice card that we already have one Fall Short, I think I would take the Mithril Mace. Yeah, I think you can't have too many. Like having a one or two is okay, but you don't want to have two or three, and we might get another one. Uh, I think the Mace is okay, uh, and the Militant is okay. So th those are the cards I would be considering. I think I would still take the Mob Rule. Uh, over those though and i think that you said that you would as well so yeah though i don't know if in this situation i would i think yeah maybe well, maybe i'd take the. i think i'd take the seat of vengeance actually if i huh would. that's interesting yeah i think i would take the mace in their situation i think this is one of the situations where i mean they took the valkyrie militant but i could see where they're already locking themselves into justice and maybe I think looking over this in hindsight is unnecessarily, but 
if I'm thinking I'm injustice, I, I maybe I just like Mithril Mace more than you do. It just yeah. feels like it. It's okay. It's, it's a, a good card. Yeah, especially with all the armor gaining synergies and stuff, I think there's a real possibility to get a two for one with it, and and so. And, I agree with that. I, I yeah. agree with that. I think like Valkyrie Militant is an armor synergy that we're passing up for it, but I think Mithril Mace is good enough on its own that we could take it. And mob rules performing that well in our sheet. Uh, it's in the top three shadow cards. Oh yeah. Let me. Get yeah, maybe that that's thing. maybe part of the it's problem. Top is ten. I'm just it's I'm the ten just, best tenth best common in the in the format. Yeah, that I'm just lower on mob rule than I should be. It just I get feels a little situational, which is kind of weird because I do think there's so many board stalls in this format that you often do end up with a pretty wide board. But it's still yeah. not guaranteed. Yeah, it is a combat trick. It does kill a twist unit. It mm -hmm. does, like early, it kills a twist unit. Um, it can kill a flyer if you yeah. if you're in a board stall. So in that respect, it's pretty good. And it is a full. It's almost a. I don't know. Let's say forty percent better than the other two cards. So that that would uh, lean me a little bit in that direction. Uh, okay. So, pack uh, two, pick three. We have a Dark Return, which is another good shadow card. Uh, we see a Resolute Paladin, which is uh, the 4-1 that gets invulnerable. That's about it, yes. So, I don't think the Resolute Paladin is very good. Mm -hmm. uh, like, this is pick three, and the cards are pretty bad, which is uh, not uncommon, let's say. In the in the curated packs, so would you take a quote unquote on color card here in the resolute paladin, or would you take a dark return? I would take it. I mean, I think dark return is the best card in this pack by a bunch, and it's it's not what we've been picking recently, but it's not it's not out of the question that we could still be shadow. I mean, we do have I think crooked Alec guide is a very good shadow card, so. Yeah, and Joey Andy Hube and their son did take uh, Darker Turn as well. Yeah. I, I think this is the correct pick. I just think the other cards are so bad that it Do you does... think? Would you consider Dark Return a splashable card? Is that yes. in your splashable category? Yeah, exactly. Because number one, you don't want to play it early. It's a card you want to play late. Uh, number two, when it's late, it doesn't matter what the power cost is. You're just getting your best unit back and playing it most likely that turn. Uh, number three, it's just a really good card. It's like top twenty. So exactly, I, 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 uh, I have made a rule for myself that I only splash powerful cards. I don't want to splash non-powerful cards, and this would qualify. So I, I would say that that's it's quite reasonable. Yeah. And if we had a couple insignias here, it would be looking a lot easier to splash right. uh, the dark return. So that's the last I'll say about that. Probably uh, pack two, pick four. So we have a detain. Uh, Man of Mouse's card that he uh, suggested people take a deeper look at. We have Learned Herbalist, and we have Lingering Influence. Lingering Influence is the one-power Justice spell that searches a Justice Sigil out of your deck and then gives you a scout. So it's good for hitting, like, double uh, Justice costs, which there are many. It's a spell synergy card. Uh, so what, what are you thinking about here? Uh, you know, they picked the Learned Herbalist, I would definitely pick the Learned Herbalist. Yeah, I think which that's is 100% right. 
Which is the best card in the pack. This is where I start getting nervous, though, about still not nothing being very clear to me and having reasonable cards in four colors. I mean, obviously, sure. we haven't seen a lot of fire recently, but, you know, Char is still a pretty good card. Yeah. And, and then, you know, we've seen a couple OK Justice cards and a couple OK Shadow cards, and then now to pick a time card. Yeah. So is, let's think. I, I see where you're coming from there. And I look at the our Justice cards, and I see Auric Lookout, which is replacement level. War Wagon, which, as we talked about, is not great in Double Justice. Valkyrie Militant, which is kind of replacement level. Flash Grenade uh, and Fall Short, which are not amazing, right? And so mm -hmm. the ones that are good are, you know, kind of splashful. Maybe we could splash them, and maybe the Learned Herbalist helps us splash them. If we look at our time cards, Corrupted Behemoth is better than all of those cards. And Displaced Eructodon is on the same level. So if we take Learned Herbalist, maybe we can play some of the Justice cards. Yeah. And we can play, like, I, I would say that Corrupted Behemoth is probably the best card in the whole pool right now. It is, but uh, we've saw, we saw that a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, g given where we are now, maybe we would have made some different picks that would have made, mm -hmm. had a few more cards. But even where we are right now, we, we have two, three uh, time cards and five justice cards. So we really only have two more cards in, uh, in justice than we have in time. Mm -hmm. so you know and then in um, in shadow we have three cards as well so if we move away from justice we're really only kind of dropping two cards and if we move away from justice for fixing we're probably going to play some of those cards right um so i think you actually end up playing more more of your cards that you've already picked by taking the learned herbalist than by uh taking kind of a filler another filler justice card uh, right. which we have many. So I think I would take the Learned Herbalist, especially Learned Herbalist in this situation, because it enables us to play some of these other cards. You know, maybe we splash the Dark Return because we took the Herbalist, for right. example. Maybe we splash the Crooked Alley Guide because we took the Herbalist. So we, we could still be Injustice. We're not necessarily moving away from it. It is hard, like, it is hard to be in three colors. That's 100% true. And you should probably avoid that. And I would say you should try really hard at the end of pack two or the start of pack three to not be in three colors. <laughs> right. But I think like pick four pack two is probably too early mm -hmm. to, to like lock into some medium uh, justice cards over maybe a slightly better uh, uh, time cards. And they actually did take the herbalist. So, you know, points to me, I guess there, but like, I think I think that's really interesting that they took the herbalist there. Uh, pack two, pick five. Uh, Watchful Aminara, which is the two four for three that scouts when you uh, play a spell, probably the most missed trigger in the game. Uh, and then there's Lingering Influence, and there's no shadow cards. They pick up the Watchful Aminara, and I think that that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, I think Watchful Aminara is in the running for most underappreciated card in the set. It's like a really good Scaly Garun. <laughs> I mean, that's not that doesn't cause people to to like the card more, I suppose. But it's a very good defensive card. It leads to board stalls. Time's good at winning board stalls. Just make sure you have some flyers. So pack two, pick eight. 
there's a sharpen reflexes and a seek power. Uh, they already have one seek power that they picked up along the way that might help them splash. This would be their second seek power. They have a learned herbalist, which is another five color source. And then they have uh, sharpened reflexes, which is kind of a, it's a, it's a good combat trick, sharpened reflexes. But uh, seek power would then be their third piece of five color fixing, which would let them splash basically anything. Right. What do you think you would do here, Patrick? Would you take sharpened reflexes or seek power? Uh, you know, I see the show notes where you're strongly hinting at the second seek power is the correct pick. I think in the moment, I would probably take sharpened reflexes. Sure. And I I think that's actually Ruben's influence because he is very high on this card. And while this card has never actually done a lot for me in the games that I play it, I mean, people have played it effectively against me and it's been hammered into my head that this is a card that I should like. I, I already have the one seek power. And I think I splash less than Probably, you do. Probably, yes. Yeah. Um, so I think that would I can see, be I can see to it. the Sharpened Reflex. What? Like it's, sharpened Reflex is a, an above-average card, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not quite top tier, but it's it's doing pretty good. It's like a kind of a one-power removal spell, best case, which is pretty good. Like, if you attack your 3-3 into their 3-3 and you have Sharpened Reflexes, they're not happy with that exchange it's really good with uh like bright mace paladin um rebel sharpshooter that sort of thing it's good with twist uh so it's a good card but i think i still might and it also uh it's also a playable card uh in our colors so like it is kind of important to pick up a bunch of playable cards especially when you start kind of three colory but I think I personally would go with Seek Power just because I have that hope of either opening up something good, something very powerful, playing the Dark Return, which is very powerful. I kind of get a Dark Return for taking the Seek Power here. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dark Return is probably better than the Sharpened Reflexes. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I look at this a lot. And that's how I often end up splashing or end up in three colors because, you know, I take the fixing over above average cards sometimes. And that can enable you to uh, just play more of the cards that you have already picked. But I, they took the Sharpened Reflexes. I can understand taking it. I'll just provide Seek Power as an alternative uh, theory there. Yep. And I think uh, from this point, or maybe a little earlier, in their screenshots they provided, they've taken out all of the Shadow and Fire cards. So I think yep. they are, in their heads at least, firmly in Combray. And I think they go they go through the rest of the draft sort of with that in mind and mostly just pick the rest of the combat cards. Uh, is yeah. there anything you would like to say about their final deck list or it it's hard when the when the timelines diverge, but I think they they could have had more options to be in different colors. And I think they locked into justice like really early and I'm not I'm not really sure that the power level of the card, like the War Wagon, I feel when they pick the War Wagon, they locked into Justice. And right. I, I just think that that's not a good enough card to do that. And maybe that caused them to not consider some other possibilities. Also, I think like they passed over some fixing that would probably have been helpful. And they even had fixing, but didn't, didn't splash. And I think 
there were some cards they could have taken that that would have been good splashes, even if even if they uh, didn't go full on with the, the three color uh, planet. So uh, if we look at their final deck list, they do have a, a solid Combray deck. Uh, they have uh, eight spells, uh, Detain, Flash Grenade, Seek Power, Sharpen Reflexes, a couple Fall Shorts, a Blink and a Death Strike. I think those are all reasonable. I've run into trouble sometimes when I've had too many cards like Detain. Like Detain, Flash Grenade, Blink, they're all kind of reactive. Right. Uh, rather than necessarily proactive. They can play both roles, clearly, but if you have too much of that and not enough units, you can be in trouble. There's no no weapons, no horns. We've been talking about horn on the show for a while. That's a pretty good card. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't have, they didn't pick up any, like, Twin Psy versus Mithril Mace, that sort of thing. Uh, they have an okay curve. They have uh, six two-drops, and they're all reasonable two-drops, except for Svetius Faithful, which you kind of want to play later they have a bunch of three drops they have like seven three drops uh, i think some of those are maybe a little below rate like spell strike sorceress they have another war wagon and then like auric lookout is maybe i'd be looking for a different card than auric lookout because we kind of already have enough twos already have enough threes maybe we need something a little higher on the curve mm-hmm. uh, they have a couple copper hall recruits and a valkyrie militant copper hall recruit is very good at stalling the ground like uh, Watchful Amanara, like War Wagon, like Auric Lookout. Uh, a bunch of their cards are good at stalling the ground. You can get into trouble sometimes in those situations when you have, I, I like to call it, <laughs> I've done this too many times myself, where uh, you create a board stall and then you lose. And I draft many times like that, where I have a bunch of three fives in my deck that can't attack. They can't attack either on the ground, so they kill me with their flyers. And it looks like this deck could get in trouble in that way a little bit. Uh, they do have some flyers at the top end. Two Valkyrie Militants, which are the two twos, and a Roosting Warhawk. But mm. that's not like a Steel Legion. It's, right. not, uh, it's not something a little bigger. They do have a Blurred Stigmalock, which is going to be one of the bigger creatures on the battlefield. That's good. And they do have some tricks to go with this, with their big creatures. So hopefully they can break through on the ground and then just keep breaking through. If they get into a scenario where there's a very large board stall, could be a problem. Right. Uh, because they don't have Dispel. They don't have Mute. They don't have a lot of ways to deal with Flyers. They only have one removal spell that kills a Flyer in Death Strike. I think I'd be worried about this deck in that it may create a board stall and then lose. That mm -hmm. So the, I think the most important cards in their deck are those two war wagons, yeah, because they give you a way to try and break through. Right. The, the, so the war wagons, the stigma lock, the three flyers that they have, and maybe like detainer flash grenade to try and get that one big turn, some kind of spell to like attack with two big guys. They do some double or triple blocks, and you blow both of them out, and then they're dead. Mm -hmm. uh, you, they're going to have to get some huge turn like that uh, or maybe win aggressively early because they do have a lot of curve units on uh, two and three. Mm -hmm. But if they get into those board stalls, they have to be very careful with their removal uh, and get a lot of value out of some kind of big breakthrough move. So could uh, I 
yeah. convince you into a shadow splash of dark return off your one seek power and maybe getting rid of a card like Auric Lookout? 100%. I would splash like the two chars. I would. I might splash both. Like I would play uh, a fire sigil, a shadow sigil. I would play, you know what card's good at breaking a board stall? That cabal repeater that we took before. Yeah. So I might play, I would have another seek power. I would have a couple, um, couple fixing powers. But let, let's say they have just the one seek power and the one uh, learned herb list that they have. I think I would pick one of the two and I would either play the two chars with uh, a couple fire sigils, seek power and learned herb list. That's plenty of sources. Mm-hmm. Or I would play the dark return and maybe the cabal repeater uh, off again, two shadow sigils, mm-hmm. uh, seek power and a learned herb list. And that's so easy. It's so easy to do. Do you and go up to 18 power then? So they have 17 plus seek, uh, and they're special. They have one amber coin, one emerald coin. They don't have any standards. They don't have like lingering influence. So I think uh, a problem this deck has is that all their cards cost two or three. They don't have a, a lot of expensive cards. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to add a bunch of power. You don't want to go to 19 with this deck, I don't think. Like mm-hmm. you do have the war wagons to shift late. But you, you have the war have... wagons that are double justice also. That's Yeah, double justice. But they have they have uh, 11 justice sources already. So right. I think but, that's plenty. But we're talking about cutting a couple of those or yeah. a yeah. couple of something for two shadow sigils now. Uh, so looking at this deck, they have no double, no double time influence. Mm-hmm. So I think I could cut a time sigil, which would take me to something like eight time sources. And I would cut at least one Justice Sigil to take me down to nine or ten Justice Sources and add two Shadow Sigils, and I think that would be perfectly fine. I don't know what other Shadow cards they might have, but certainly, like, when you have... They have only a few big guys. If those few big guys get dealt with, you could be in trouble. You got a Dark Return, that's another big guy. Maybe if all you want is the Dark Return, you just play one Shadow Sigil. One Shadow Sigil, one Seek Power, one Learned Herbalist, that's that's fine for mm-hmm. one dark return. I would do that for sure. It's only whether I would do any more than that. Okay. Uh, and I would definitely cut like a justice sigil for that, and it would be no big deal. I wouldn't go to nineteen or I would stay at seventeen plus seek. All right, so that's the end of our show. And uh, a few quick things. Uh, there's uh, a reminder that we do have a website. And you can find a link to that in our show notes and on uh, the Reddit post that Ruben will hopefully do for this episode. And that gives that'll give you pictures of all the drafts as well as a link to both of our spreadsheets um, or all of our spreadsheets that go over all the deck lists that we receive. We also have uh, recently created a Farming Eternal Discord. There have been a couple over the last couple months or weeks who have asked about it, so we finally got around to doing it. And uh, there will be a link to that in the show notes too. And please come in. I'm really excited to get a community because if we can shift some of the conversations, I mean, that we get in our email and more people can see that, I think that'll be really great because a lot of people have a lot of things to say about their decks and about this draft format in the email and it almost it's it always feels to me like it's a shame that only ben and i are reading that and hopefully you know 
those people can pour that into Discord and make that available to everyone. So we're really excited to to finally get that up and running. And I'm really excited to give me something to do when I have five minutes here and there to to look through that and be an active member in the Discord if people sign up. So please do that. Then a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so more people can find the show. And give a thumbs up to all Barefoot Farmers Reddit posts about this podcast. And send and also remember to send in all your seven wind deck lists to farmingeternal at gmail.com. So that's all for this week. And remember to keep on farming. Bye.